The coaching carousel in the Pac-12 is in full steam. USC is knocking down the doors of a bunch of recruits and they are answering. Wazoo's president talks to John Canzano. There's news on when the Pac-12 will have a new commissioner. And great news, the NCAA video game is coming back. And there's basketball in the conference too. I'm George Reister, he's Ralph Amsden, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, the podcast by Pac-12 fans, for Pac-12 fans, where you come to get the truth, you come to get the real, and there's no sugarcoating about it. Um, You guys make sure that you leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, despite Ralph trying to sabotage us and telling you to leave us a four-star review. Um, And make sure that you subscribe, that you tell a friend, and most importantly, share. Send them a video clip, an audio clip, something. Make sure that they know about it. And some of you may have missed at the end of last episode, We left a little Easter egg and those who, those five people who reached out, we see you, we see you. So if you missed it, we will leave the breadcrumb, the Easter egg again in this episode and we'll see what you do with it. Um, But Ralph, okay, so anybody that doesn't know, um, Ralph took a trip. Ralph took a trip, so that's why we didn't have an episode last week. So it's on Ralph. Blame him. Send him your hate mail. Anytime we have not had an episode, it's Ralph's fault, right? Sure, yeah, why not? Blame me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm completely joking. Every time it's not Ralph's, Ralph's fault. It, it's my fault a lot of the times, too. But uh, we will continue the consistency and all these things because I know that you guys um, enjoy it, and we enjoy it as well. So Ralph took a trip and he got a chance to visit some college campuses and in it just matters more territory. So what was so you can tell the people about your trip, Ralph. Yeah, so I I got to see uh an, an ACC school, uh SEC school and uh Sunbelt. I think Appalachian State's in the in the Sunbelt, even though I'm not sure that's an appropriate name. Uh, for a conference uh, up up in the mountains um, of North Carolina, but I I, I really enjoyed uh, getting out and getting to see a few more schools and a few more campuses. Clemson was a really really interesting one because there's more people at the school than there are actual residents of the town, and we I don't think we really have that type of a setup anywhere in the Pac-12 at all, um, and so it, that was very interesting to me uh, to see. Uh, what was quintessentially a college town because every town with a major college in it is a college town, but this is the actual engine of the the town. If the college wasn't there, there wouldn't be a town. So Clemson was really interesting. The probably the funniest thing about going to Clemson is we had the uh, GPS on as we're driving up to the stadium and it's like, turn left on champions way, take a right on uh, like blowout lane. Like everything was, <laughs> Everything was uh, uh, a reference to how much success they've had. <laughs> like, make a U-turn at We Dominate Circle. 
And I was just uh, so I was so like, all these are like new streaks, basically. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess. Um, and then you know, I was thinking, uh, it, it just it, it wouldn't there wouldn't be that type of thing, I think, at most Pac-12 <laughs> schools. <laughs> so it was you know, uh, being out in Corvallis when it's like, hang a left on. Hopefully, we get four wins this year, Boulevard. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a different vibe. Uh, Athens was kind of cool. <laughs> Athens, uh, I went to University of Georgia, and that was kind of cool because it's kind of a fully functioning town outside of the university. They got about 115,000 people, and I learned that the population boom really happened there between 1990 and 2000. Like when the internet first became a thing, they they doubled in size. They went from about 50,000 to 100,000, and now they're up close to around 120,000, and that's without the 30,000 kids that actually attend university of georgia the field was open for us to just go and walk around the stadium uh which i I don't think that uh you could do that at usc not in that neighborhood (laughs) like i just i i don't think that you uh that you could do that and so um i know you can't do it at university of arizona because i'm pretty sure some of the didn't some of their players get arrested in the stadium because they like jumped a fence and were just chilling in the seats see that's the difference between where you went and i mean well some some pac-12 schools used to be open because i remember a girl who's i doubt she listens to this podcast but if she does she will know exactly who i'm talking about went to university of oregon her goal was to have sex at in at the 50 yard line at every stadium and when i was in college she said she had already been to have like to have snacks Sex, S E X. So she has a very different goal uh, on the fifty-yard line. I'd love to have snacks <laughs> on the fifty-yard line of every stadium, dude. And she had already done like six or eight uh, programs already. Um, six or eight stadiums in the Pac-12 already. I didn't get into the details, so I don't know if this was, you know, with. I know she didn't have a boyfriend, so I don't know if it was like one person or whether she just found a, a, a random roadie in each city. But I don't know. Wow, but that was her a, goal. Yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. I I I, uh, I don't really know how to respond, but I will say, uh, who says you get, dude? Who says for you me? to be a person <laughs> who talks about so openly and freely and are unapologetic you are you blush really easily no, you're not like there are some things where you're like i can't say that yeah for sure <laughs> no i'm 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 not i wouldn't say like i'm a prude but like definitely raised by like extremely catholic grandparents who um you know i i, I learned about things way too late and a lot of things are super <laughs> private so um but i, I will say like I, I guess kudos to uh, her and um who said that there weren't passionate football fans on the left well, coast she grew up in a, in a nudist colony though ah no see that's that and and as a university of oregon uh student um that makes sense for sure uh yeah but i saw so saw three colleges it was nice oh i i actually toured queen's college uh as well but they don't have uh football so i i didn't you know, go look at any stadiums or anything like that. But that's like a 30,000 student school in the heart of Charlotte. So that was kind of a, a, a interesting vibe as well. Um, definitely different than what I'm used to out here. I've actually, I don't know uh, if we've ever said this on the podcast before. I've toured 10 of the 12 Pac-12 campuses. I've actually never been to Berkeley 
And while I have been to um, uh, Washington State, I have not actually like spent time at the school or the stadium or anything. So I'm only ten for twelve on on uh, in in our territory. You, um, I have never been to the University of Washington. Never. How about that? What? How? Not. What do you mean? How? You played at Oregon and you've helped with like broadcast stuff and uh, Seattle's a major American city. I just, it's surprising. I've been to, I've been to Seattle. I played in, I've played in the stadium that the Seahawks play in as a, uh, I don't know if I played as a, I don't remember whether I played as a professional, but I definitely did as a college guy. When we played in the, we played in a bowl game. We played in the short lived Seattle bowl. We, we played against Wake Forest. Um, and so I, I never, as a Pac-12 player, so, so you have to remember, I redshirted a year as well. And I also played, I redshirted, so you don't travel when you redshirt. And I went to the NFL draft, so I didn't have a senior year. So I was really only traveling for three years. I did not... And, and, but since then I've been to colleges and all of that stuff, but I have never even stepped foot on the university of Washington campus or in their stadium. First thing I have not, I did not play. I don't think I played at Stanford either. Yeah. 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 I did not play at Stanford either. Interesting. So, uh, that, but I played. But I played at Washington State three times. Um, so, as an Oregon man, uh, is that? Do you just end up turning that around and making it a point of pride, not ever setting foot on on uh, Washington's campus? No way, dude. Absolutely no, dude. I would. I wish that I got a chance to play in in Husky Stadium because I've always been. I'm a negatively motivated kind of person. So if you tell me I can't do something, that makes me want to do it even more. So fans booing, oh God, that's way better than fan, fans cheering for for me. So I would have wanted to play in that sort of hostile environment. Like the uh that that's why the Oregon Washington game was such a big is such a big deal. And like the environment that two years ago that the Oregon went up to Husky Stadium and won. Dude, I as much as I don't like Washington, right? I appreciate how much their fans care, and that's the type of environment that you never forget playing in. So, I, I applaud their fans. Like their fans are, their fans are legit, and we need more fans. Honestly, in the Pac-12, like Washington fans, like Oregon fans, um, like, like. You know, when when Arizona used to be rocking their fans, like people who are absolutely committed, Washington, Washington State fans are pretty good as well. But we need that from the L.A. schools because I have season tickets to UCLA. And, dude, that, I mean, aside from the fourth quarter and it's a close game, like the, the stadium is largely quiet as a church mouse. And you need that energy. It, it, it's just different. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, as an aside that I can find, 
at least in the regular season, you did not ever play uh, an away game in Seattle in your pro career. You did play against yes. the Seahawks, but it was in yes. Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's another one. Since since there was another stadium that I did not mention that I actually got to visit uh, on my my little road trip last week. Do you remember the first stadium that you ever played your first uh, regulation uh, regular season game in? College football? No, pro as a rookie. Pro as a I think Tampa Bay. It was Carolina. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, you said regular season regular game. Regular season, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, all right, dude. I will never forget that Carolina game because that Carolina game came down to the last kick of the game. I was on the field goal team, and it got blocked off of my side, and we lost the game. It was like a 50-some-odd yard. It was a super long field goal. I'll never forget that. Okay, okay. Can you remember uh... – do you do you remember the really unique thing about how that game ended besides that field goal? Uh no. Okay. Uh-uh. All right, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia. So there were three consecutive missed two-point conversions to end the game. Wait, what? Yes. Yes. So you guys were up in the fourth quarter 17 to 10 after John Casey hit a field goal. Um, and then Carolina got a safety and then scored a touchdown. Uh, Steve Smith from Jake DeLome, they tried to throw for the two-point conversion because they were up 18-17, didn't get it. Then you guys went down the field, and Jermaine Lewis caught a 65-yard touchdown pass from Mark Brunell and tried to go for the two-point conversion, and you didn't get it. So you're leading 23-18, to and the Panthers come down and score with 16 seconds left. Ricky Prohl from Jake DeLome. They go up 24-23 and try to go for two and don't get it. So that fourth quarter had three failed two-point conversions, a safety, a field goal, and a blocked field goal. That was your first your first NFL game. <laughs> it was 17-7 going into the fourth and ended 24-23. Okay. Here... here. I know you're going to laugh and everybody else is going to laugh at this. You just told me new information. <laughs> I, Ralph, every single thing that you mentioned, aside from that field goal, I have no, I, if I saw it, if, if that game came on television, it would be like I watched it for the first time. I have Z when I say zero, I mean, not one single iota of a memory about that game. Not one, aside from knowing, and I can't even remember the actual play. I just know I missed the. I know that me and the the tight end and the the field goal protection because I was on the wing. That block some kind of way between me and him. It got missed, and um, they blocked the field goal. So that's the only thing that I remember. Like I don't. I don't even know what I think we were wearing white jerseys, but I don't even know. Like, isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? But yeah, so that that I did get to see Bank of America Stadium and uh, and in in Charlotte, which was really really nice. Uh, And and you don't even remember being there. And here's a little bit of trivia: Do you remember? uh, Because I've told you this story a few times. I actually saw you play way before we ever met. I was at a game. 
you were there. Do you remember the major event that happened in the game that you played in that I was at? Um, that was in, in Arizona stadium. Uh, well, in actually Sun it Devil. was in, yeah. yeah, in Sun Devil stadium. And, uh, I think it has something to do with Todd heap, right? No, I don't think so. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my, my college game when Todd heap caught the ball against his helmet, um, which was unbelievable. Wait, or was, did I watch that on TV or was that the game? I <laughs> Your <Jesus>. memory is <laughs> so, jello brain. <laughs> so okay okay so so here's what i remember from that day okay okay <laughs> has i don't even remember whether we won or lost the game uh i do remember that uh i think byron left which was the quarterback in that game byron left um, was the quarterback in that game and yeah i don't remember where they got it some something happened i remember something happening in the game but i don't remember what but i do remember is that my son's mom was at that game. She was pregnant with my son at the time, my, my, my oldest son. And we, we had been together, but I hadn't seen her in a while because it was during the uh, season. And then, um, but we weren't together at the time. And so, but I saw her after the game. Like, that's the only thing I remember about that particular event. But go, go, go ahead, inform me about my, my life's events, Ralph. Byron Leftwich broke his ankle in the first quarter. Yes. See, I knew he got hurt. I knew. See, I, I was like, I was like, he started the game, but he didn't finish the game. I knew yeah, it. Yeah, that was the beginning of the David Garrard era. See, I knew something happened in that game. <laughs> <sighs> well, I mean, something for sure. Did we did we did we win or lose? You won. Uh, and that was um it was sort of a weird pivotal moment for the Cardinals as well, because you were playing against Larry Fitzgerald in his rookie season. And um, the Cardinals had Kurt Warner at quarterback, but they weren't really like, they weren't really committed to him. They had just gotten him from the giants. He went two and eight that year. And I'm pretty sure that's what led them to draft Matt Leiner, who he sat behind um, the following year. And then went back and forth with in 2007. And it wasn't until 2008. It wasn't until Kurt Warner's fourth year in Arizona where he really, um, they said, this is your team. And he went out and played all 16 games and took them to the Super Bowl. Okay. But that was early in the Kurt Warner Arizona Cardinals experiment. Byron Leftwich broke his ankle and you guys ended up winning the game. Um, But that, I mean, that's probably the first time you ever played against Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, dude, we could do a podcast just on you recapping things in my in, in my life. You know what is funny too is that there are sometimes where you know they'll have some of the ESPN instant classic games and from from my years at Oregon, and sometimes I watch those games and it's like the first time I saw them. That's hilarious. I, I, I talked to Ricardo Stewart, who was a um, All Pac-10 safety for Arizona State, and he always talks about the triple overtime game against Oregon. Um, that had Terrell Suggs and Andrew Walter and all that. He says every time that game comes on, he watches it like he, like, like he doesn't remember being in it. Like he's standing next to his couch, like cheering for ASU, even though he's on the field. <laughs> Dude, I, 
I, I know people at home, people listening can't relate, but it happens all the time. It would be like, like me going back and listening to one of our old podcasts and like clapping for myself when I make a decent, <laughs> coherent point. And the funny part is that there are sometimes I don't know what the outcome is. Like where I'll watch them like, did, did, did we win or lose this game? And I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my God, they, we, we won. This. Oh no, that was terrible. But there are some games that, that stick out like Stanford in 2000 with the, where, where we lost a 14 point lead in like five minutes and missed out on a chance to play for the national championship. I remember that. I remember Reggie Williams going crazy on us. I remember, uh, was that Andrew Walter that threw for like 8,000 yards in one game against us? I feel like that's probably the, uh, true. I feel <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember the game we played at USC. I remember playing at UCLA. Like, I remember all those games. I remember when Nate Viegas tore his ACL. Joey jumped on him after he kicked the game winner versus USC. Like, I remember so many things, but there are things, specific things that I just am like, yo, uh, are you sure I was there? Um, but um, you were talking about your trip, though, and you made a statement when we were doing the Right or Wrong podcast. So if you guys don't know, Ralph is joining me as well on the Right or Wrong podcast. And it comes out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It goes live on Twitter around 1230 Pacific time, somewhere around there. But then it's also available on YouTube and the uh, podcast, wherever podcasts are found as well. So if you want to hear us talk about not just Pac-12, but world events, <laughs> and they get a, it, it, it does get a little political at times. But, but we're just keeping it 100 about a whole lot of things. You guys go check that out as well. But you said something when we were talking about your trip the other day, and I found it very interesting. You, when you said you were surprised that all the stadiums that you went to were open. Yes. Yes. Um, that, I, you know, we, that at university of Georgia, um, you were able to just walk, uh, there's a road that runs right next to the stadium where you can look down in and the gates were just open. So we were able to walk in and go in where like the seats are. You can even walk down to the field if you want to. And uh, I remember my wife was like, I can't believe it's just open. And I was like, would you close the doors of the church? Like, this is, this is the house of worship here in, in Athens. It makes sense to me that it's open, but that is, you're right. That's just not something that I've experienced out here um, in the PAC 12 of where this, you know, that where you would just trust the people <laughs> to not come in and, and mess around or, or, or do anything they're not supposed to. Um, and who knows, maybe it was a fluke and maybe they just for, forgot to lock the gates or whatever, but no one seemed to have an issue with us. Nobody forgot to lock the gates, bro. Nobody forgot to lock the gates. Dude, that's a fireable offense. That that didn't happen. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I will say that there was definitely um, it's an education for me because I'm not. Uh, I'm not very well traveled. I'm from Wyoming. I live in Arizona. Anytime I have a chance to go on vacation, I go back to where I'm from. So like I, I've maybe been to Atlanta three times in my life. I've been to Pittsburgh once and Baltimore once. That's the entire extent of being 36 years old 
and I didn't even cross the Mississippi until like 2009 for the first time. And, uh, and so I, I don't know much, like I haven't seen all that much. I've been everywhere on the West coast a million different times. I love to drive and travel and road trip and been to every stadium. Like I said, except for the, the, the two in the pac 12 and I've been to a bunch of the, the, the big sky um, and mountain West stadiums as well. And uh, it's just very different for me to see something, you know, next to buildings that are 250 years old when the oldest thing in Arizona is like a 12 year old uh, Walgreens down the street. Right. Like that's a historical building down here because yeah. we just spread out and build out um, constantly. And there things are really concentrated and have a lot of history with them. And I it just it, it is a completely different world. And I do understand that, you know, Georgia football, when it be ingrained into eight generations of of people. And I would love for um, people in, in the Pac-12 footprint to be able to have that level uh, of pride as well. But 99% of the reason I feel like people live on the West coast is because they're, they don't, they're, they're not people who really settle or focus. They're multitaskers. And so that we have that sort of multitasking fandom. It doesn't mean that you don't go out of your way to make it easy to watch these games. We were staying with somebody out there who grew up uh, going to Arizona state games, season tickets ever since they were a baby. Uh, they didn't even attend ASU. They went to Pepperdine, but they still, had ASU season tickets. Their parents still have ASU season tickets. And um, she has converted to becoming a Clemson fan because they tailgate because there's culture around it. And because that never, that was never part of her experience going to Arizona state games go, uh, growing up. And the hardest thing for her to do to keep up with ASU games is that she can't watch them from her house and they don't come on until after all of the small town bars are closed out there. And so, you know, she just talked about all of her, um, headaches of just trying to keep up with ASU football, you know, ended up having to listen to radio broadcasts of it or illegal streams or, or whatever, um, you know, when they're kicking off at 1145 at night, her time. And yeah. And, and that's part of the issue with the PAC 12, you know, cause we've talked about kickoff times, availability, because people convert to other fans when they can't watch their team. I mean, you can be, and one of the guys I played on my high school basketball team, my high school basketball team here in California, San Fernando Valley, is a diehard Alabama fan. Diehard Alabama fan. His family's from Tuscaloosa, like, you know, grandparents, all that stuff from, from Tuscaloosa. The reason why he could stay in Alabama fans because his games are always available. He doesn't have a problem watching Alabama. If it were the other way around, if he were a diehard, you know, Arizona fan, grew up in uh, Tucson, went to all the games, everything, and then he goes, then he moved to Tuscaloosa. How can he still be a diehard Arizona fan? He can't. That's the issue. <laughs> That's the issue. Um, in the Pac-12, though, there have been a number of coaching changes that have gone on. And one of them has just, well, there have been a couple changes and there might actually be another one. I'm hearing some um, some uh, chatter because the, the University of Washington has, they lost their defensive coordinator, Pete Kiewitow, Kiewitowski, Kowalski, however you say it. Uh, they lost him to go down to Texas with with seven wins Sark, which probably made them a little bit more upset too, because they're like, hold up, 
we lost our coach to go to our old coach who left us for USC. Yeah, he getting paid and time they, and a half though. He he got yes. pay increase to do the same job. Yeah, and Washington had been priding them themselves because they were talking trash to Oregon people like, ha, you guys, uh, you guys keep having all this coordinator turnover. Uh, Avalos leaves, take a head coaching job. So does uh, Arroyo leave, take a head coaching job at, at UNLV. Oh, so much coaching term. That, that doesn't happen at University of Washington. And then University of Washington loses their defensive coordinator. So then they're like, we have to get a big name to replace him. Like every single fan base, they're like, we want a big name to replace. We need a proven guy. So uh, Oregon, who lost their defensive coordinator, uh, Avalos, to go be the Boise State coach, then he's replaced by – actually. Let's stay on Washington first. So, so Washington loses their defensive coordinator. They, I don't know if they can't find one or what, but they end up replacing him with this guy named Bob Gregory. How does George Reister know Bob Gregory? Bob Gregory was on a coaching staff with George Reister. And, and it's amazing that I remember that, right? Yeah, I mean, but we've established that your memory is not uh, as... It's not as sharp as your uh, uh, grasp of current events. Okay. So he was our DB coach at the University of Oregon while I was there for two years. How about that? So that's how I know him. And ironically, this this dude is just a flip-flopper. So he went to the University of Washington. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. He went to Washington. He played at Washington State. He's from Spokane. Coached at the University of Washington multiple years, then went to go be a GA at Oregon, then went to Willamette College, which is in Oregon, Oregon DB coach, Boise State as a DC, Cal as a DC, then goes back to Boise State, and then ends up at Washington. This dude, so so when Washington and Oregon fans are like, yeah, our coaches know Bob Gregory is, I don't know who he belongs to. He belongs to the streets. <laughs> he belongs to everybody. He's everybody's coach. I wonder where his lo- loyalties really lie, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. This This really feels like it happened because of a – I don't know. I, the vibe from Washington fans is very much that this was an an issue of laziness on the part of Jimmy Lake. Let me read. Let me read to you some of the reaction from University of Washington announcing Bob Gregory as the defensive coordinator on Twitter. Now, Twitter is what the third most toxic platform for replies because. Number one is message boards because people are comfortable there and it's behind somewhat of a wall and you're allowed to really express how you feel. Um, number two is Facebook. <laughs> like that's uh, as far as the social media goes, like that's where people really, really go off the rails In Twitter. You only have like 280 characters. So you really got to get your feelings out quickly. Um, and uh, the, 
this is a defensive coordinator hire of somebody who was already on the staff. So this isn't like the Jed Fish hire down at University of Arizona, which was roundly um, mocked. And it's definitely not like the Herm Edwards hire, which was roundly mocked uh, by, by fans at the time. This is somebody who was already on your very successful uh, staff. So University of Washington tweets out uh, that they named Bob Gregory as the new defensive coordinator for the dogs. The first reply is... I'm canceling my tickets on my 40th season. I'm dropping all donations. This program does not want to win. I am done. The next comment is, Jen Cohen, this fan is not an anomaly. Coach Lake has done nothing to promote the program. His actions are not consistent with what it takes to run a high-level Power 5 program. If Jimmy wants to run the team like this, he can go coach at Wake Forest, not University of Washington. Another University of Washington fan chips in and says, this is effing terrible. Nice job, Jimmy Lake. Uh, Another uh, fan says, just embarrassing. University of Washington doesn't care about winning, and Coach Jimmy Lake is in over his head. They just go on like that for a very long time, sandwiched in between um, people who are saying, uh, who who are Oregon fans who are kind of trolling them um but this was another interesting one this is a ty willingham hire and then another couple of people said fire jen cohen who is widely believed to be one she's, of the dude, she's one of the yeah. yes she's the best thing they got going up there uh yeah and then so there was an, uh, another person that said this is a disgrace these are all like known washington football twitter accounts um let's see here we got a we got a a, a few quote tweets um, and they all seem to be okay. So Washington football marketing is a fan account. It says, this is so bad. All I can do is enjoy the ducks trolling us. I'll let them have their laugh now, but who's going to be laughing when he's fired and replaced with Nick Holt? Bad example. I guess it will be them, but maybe the higher after that. Um, <laughs> it's it. Yeah, it's, it's rough, man. Uh, and I guess, I guess, for those in the know, they feel like he is the lowest level recruiter at the entire school. Um, and he was actually asked, I think Jimmy Lake was actually asked about that. And he's, and Jimmy Lake responded by saying like, Hey, we have plenty of depth at linebacker. But like the thought is that, that it was Blake that was really doing the, um, the recruiting for uh, the, the defense that they, they got so um yeah man it, it it seems to be universally panned the only people that i see that are pushing back on this not being a good hire are the people who want more reasons why it's a bad hire like they they said hey i'm not in the know please fill me in on what is going on here so that's a rough uh that's a rough one can we let's move on to oregon state's uh deci- or oregon university of oregon's decision um, to announce their defensive coordinator, uh, Tim DeRuiter. Yep. Yep. Tim, uh, you knew this Tim was DeRuiter. coming. Yes. Yeah. I, I knew this was coming in. This was the guy I wanted the, the whole time. The funniest part was when you go on a lot of these fan sites and their, their hires, like the, the people that they put on their, you know, their short list of candidates, or their list of candidates, it's always hilarious to me because, and the one that I saw for Oregon was hilarious for their defensive coordinator. Mind you, they got the dude 
who I wanted, right? But one of the people uh, who came up as far as, because they're still missing a DB coach, um, was Gerald Alexander, who used to be at Cal, but is now with the Miami Dolphins. And his name keeps coming up. And I was like, it's not happening. <laughs> I, I, was, I told the people who wrote it, I was like, he's not coming. Don't even put his, put his name out there. It's not happening. And they were like, are you sure? I was like, I'm 100% positive. He's not going back to college unless things for some reason don't work out in the NFL or somebody offers him a, like if, if he got an opportunity to take like UCLA or USC and they were going to just break up back up the Brinks truck and he hadn't got a, and he was in an Eric Bieniemy situation, he would probably take it. But besides that, he, he ain't coming. He's like, you know, the uh, Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not fucking leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> That's the way he is in the NFL right now. Yeah, I, I saw that somebody t- I saw that somebody else had tweeted like, yeah, hey guys, he's not coming back to college. <laughs> and he, yeah. he had a really good year, so he's got a lot of juice behind his name um, with, the, with the Dolphins defense. And he really helped turn around what was the worst secondary um, probably in the 2013-2014 seasons in all of college football. And uh, and they worked really hard to turn things around at Cal, and and he was, um, and Deruder was out there with him. He was there from 2017 to 2020, um, and yeah, I mean Cal's defense just improved year over year, and uh, he he actually did a decent job as head coach of Fresno State. I know somebody who went out to play for his predecessor and then got there and had one meeting with uh Deruder and was like this isn't for me <laughs> and immediately um transferred and that was somebody who wasn't really like a serious person they got kicked out of three other colleges before um it, it was all said and done uh but he seems to be a pretty serious no-nonsense guy and I think he'll fit in well with Oregon staff that they have in place right now but he is walking into a real pressure cooker of a situation because the the thought about Mario Cristobal is if you're really going to be in a CEO figurehead position where you're the face of the team and the head of recruiting, your coordinators have a lot of responsibility to make sure that you are competitive um, all of the time. Because even if they screw up, it's your head on the chopping block. And so um, I think that there's probably some mixed feelings about Cristobal's ability as a coach and game manager right now. Definitely not as a recruiter, but um, th- this is an important, I think this is a really important hire uh, for. Yeah. The Cause and anybody who doesn't know. So t- we talked about it. We talked about this during the football season about what was going on with Cal's defense. Cause it wasn't quite as good as it was. The thing that changed was, I mean, aside from losing some players to the, to the NFL, including the leading tackler in the Pac-12, was that Tim DeRuder had been the offensive coordinator and play caller, all that. Justin Wilcox then promotes uh, Peter Sermon to co-defensive coordinator and play caller. So Tim DeRuder got a demotion for doing a really good job. And with coaches, that don't sit well. That doesn't sit well at all. So what? So that was kind of the impetus for Tim DeRuder leaving Cal to go to Oregon. And 
Yeah, and so like I'm I'm not sure if there's a better defensive coordinator in the Pac-12. So I expect Oregon, whose defense dramatically improved under Avalos after Jim Jim Levitt built it up a little bit. I expect this to be, especially talent-wise, to be one of the more dominant defenses, not just in the Pac-12, but in the country. And then you had Keith Hayward leave Oregon and being their defensive back coach, and he's a hell of a recruiter. He left to go to Cal. And the reason why he left Oregon, so he's taking a, I think he's taking a pay cut to go to Cal. Uh, I think he's going to be co-DC and outside linebackers coach. So here is the thing. So he's upset because, and granted, I'd be a little bit upset too, because here's what I've heard, that the defensive coordinator position was either promised to him. This is before Avalos came. This is when Jim Levitt left, was either promised to him or that he would be like the prime candidate. And that didn't happen. They hired Avalos from Boise State. And then and then when Avalos left to take the Boise head Boise head coaching job, he then believed was like, yo, here's my here's my, here's my shot. And mind you, he's been a little disgruntled kind of the whole time. But granted, I would be too. Because you're a good coach, hell of a recruiter, and you feel like you're getting passed up. You're making great money. Like he's one of the higher paid um uh assistant coaches in the Pac-12 that's not a coordinator. And then you get passed up again. Yeah, you you can see that it's not happening where you where you are. So you got to make them make a move. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do what you got to do, right? I, I I get it. Um, let's talk about some of these other moves that I, I found interesting. So uh, Jimmy Doherty, who was once the wide receivers coach at Oregon and has been the wide receivers coach at UCLA. Um, he took the wide receivers coach job at University of Arizona, leaving an opening at UCLA, and they promoted Jerry Neuheisel, son of former UCLA and Colorado, yep. and Washington, uh, Coach Rick Neuheisel. What, what do you think about that one? <laughs> it's funny because he is a guy who's been working on UCLA staff for a while. He had been wor- working with the quarterbacks. And it's funny because you can't outrun your name sometimes because what I think about him kind of involves his dad, but then not because he looks like a surfer boy who blonde hair, blue eyes, I believe too. Like he just doesn't look like a football coach, but apparently he knows what he's doing. So I'm, I'm not the person to speak objectively because, and then truthfully, I haven't specifically asked about him too much. But, I mean, he seems competent, so I, I don't have a, a negative thing or a positive thing to say about him either way so far. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, he worked under, uh, he worked under Noel Mazzoni out at uh, Texas A&M. Um, he's worked for, for Kevin Sumlin, and he's, you know, it, it, he, has, he actually played at UCLA. Um, Brett Hundley got yeah. hurt, and he led a, a comeback win over Texas. So, you know, the, I think he's really well-liked, and I think they're all rooting for him. And, um and you like to see stuff like that, that not, you know, the, that Rick Neuheisel's relationship with UCLA isn't damaged to the point where his son can't on his own merits, work his way up the, the ladder, which is kind of nice. Um, here's another one I wanted to get your take on because the war 
for Southern California seems to be the 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 guns that seem to be uh being filled with the most ammunition are the coaching staffs um at Arizona State and the coaching staffs at USC and there continues to be this this uh staffing up for what will I, I think in this upcoming recruiting class the 2022 class will be the fiercest battle over Southern California um, in the history of these two schools. Now, USC has the advantage of just being USC and being in the area, but Chris Claiborne, who is really, really well-known as a high school coach and as a former USC player, got plucked by Arizona State. Prentice Gill, who had been a uh, graduate assistant at USC before going to Oregon, before becoming the wide receivers coach at ASU, apparently uh, was flirting with the idea of going over to USC and he decides to stay at ASU. He's got a lot of Southern California connections. Um, Antonio Pierce, they've kind of pushed Marvin Lewis to the side because he keeps interviewing for these NFL jobs. Uh, He's going to remain a special advisor to the program, but now Antonio Pierce is fully the defensive coordinator. He's a former Southern California uh, high school coach and and you know uh, resident and that's where he's from, and and USC has reached deep into the bag to pull a couple of University of California's more talented staff members when it comes to recruiting. They brought both the film guy and Marshall Charrington, the director of recruiting, down to USC, um, and their specialty has kind of been SoCal. And so, uh, what what do you think of these two? Oh, and I guess you know we we probably mentioned it before, but USC uh, has named Dante Williams associate head coach. So what do you think of this whole proxy battle of these two gearing up to to go head to head in SoCal? And do you think ASU can gain any ground at all? Can they gain ground? Yes, because Clay Helton is is the head coach. And if they don't win this year, if they go, you know, eight and four and then play a bowl game, win or lose. There's going to be like they're not they're still not going to fire, but they will like it it will hurt recruiting some because there's only so many times that you can say, hey, 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 come, come here, kid. Come here. We got you. We got you. But then Arizona State has to like they have to stop talking about it, too, you know, because this is this could be your last season of. Jaden Daniels at quarterback. Yeah. So your opportunity could have been missed because now you got to find another super cat at quarterback or super, super devil at quarterback. Like you, so Arizona state has to, for Arizona state to gain ground, they needed to beat USC, which they had the opportunity to do this season. And they didn't. They need to beat USC next season. Like I, I know that's living in revisionist history, but those are the things that that need to take advantage, and that's kind of what's been going on on the recruiting front too. So, I, so I got some Ralph Amsden level uh, information today for you, Ralph. Okay. So, so of the so nine, there were nineteen prospects from California in the top. 24-7 in the, in their top 247, right? Okay. Uh it's that was the lowest number in the last five years. And my, mind you, in 
20 in 2019 and 2018, there were 30 plus. Okay. And, um, but part of that they believe is because California didn't play high school football and some of these kids didn't get rated properly and all this stuff. Right. Right. Okay. So this year out of those, out of the top 25 prospects from the state of California, guess who signed the most? Um, you brought it up, so I'm assuming Oregon. No, 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 okay. no, no. This, <laughs> no, that was that was last year and the year before and all that. No, but th- this year it was USC. Okay. Yeah. USC only got one last year, which is unbelievable. This year they got eight. Second was Oregon with four. Utah, Michigan, and Cal both got two of the top twenty-five prospects. Notre Dame, Clemson, Georgia, Arizona State, Texas, and UCLA all got one. All got one. And that would be fine if Arizona, that wouldn't be, I'm sorry, Arizona State, that wouldn't be a big deal for them if they were recruiting their own state well, but they're not recruiting their own state well. If they were getting all the top kids in Arizona, it wouldn't be an issue not getting California. But remember, they put it on a big push. Oh, we're going to take Cali, all this stuff, all the... And you get one prospect, eh, that ain't the move. I mean, and then you look at that versus the top 25 prospects in Florida, right? Where do you think the top 25 prospects in Florida, what college do you think that they committed to and have signed to so so far? I feel like there's been a Miami resurgence. I feel like they, they'd be a leader. Uh, the, the answer is uh, Alabama with six. Okay. Miami with four. Okay. My Miami would be higher if you counted all their transfer portals. Um, uh, three went to University of Florida, three to Clemson, two to Maryland, two to Georgia, one to Michigan, Oklahoma, USC, and UCLA. And then there's Terrion Arnold, who's uncommitted as well. And then there's Georgia. Georgia of their top twenty-five prospects, eight went to eight went to Georgia. Four to Clemson, three to Florida, two to Notre Dame, and then Alabama, Ohio State, Miami, LSU, Tennessee, Indiana, and NC State have one. And then Texas. Texas is very similar to what's happened in California. Of their top 25 prospects, Texas A&M, six, Alabama, five, Oklahoma, four, two went to Texas and LSU. So Texas is not recruiting its state very well. Ohio State, Kansas, SMU, Mississippi State, and Cal all all got one. And the reason why those four states, well, the the reason why those states are so important is because out of the like 2,500 or whatever um, prospects that they rate, that they've rated, 43% of them come from those states. 43% of them come from Texas, Florida, Georgia, and California. Those four states make up 43% of the uh, top 247. So, so yeah, so to, to make a long story short, can Arizona State gain some ground uh, if they can recruit better in California? So, yeah, so there's that. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that that seems to be the goal because you have a former USC player in Chris Claiborne as your linebackers coach. You have a former USC player um, in Chris Hawkins as your 
defensive backs coach. You got a, a, a Southern California native in Antonio Pierce as your defensive coordinator. And, um, you know, uh, Herm Edwards is a, is a California guy as well. And then Prentice Gill spent three years at USC before going to Oregon and ended up in ASU. So that seems to be where their focus is. If it doesn't, if the 2022 class isn't, uh, you know, those 50, 50 battles where a lot of USC kids use ASU as a, as a backup plan or a fallback school, which is how some of ASU's best recruits have ended up, um, at, ASU in the first place, whether it's, you know, Tashawn Smallwood, who was a four-year starter um, at defensive tackle or, or even Vontez Perfect and, and, and guys like that, um, you know, it, it, unless they're not just getting guys because space filled up at USC, unless they're actually winning these head-to-head battles, it would seem that the hires and the fortification that you're trying to do to your staff aren't working. Like it, they're going for broke, I feel like, and I think that the fans should look at it that way as well. Um, another uh, addition, a staff addition um, that is sort of off the um, out of left field, is um, I would Jed Fish has done absolutely everything right since being hired at University of Arizona. He has brought in a ton of people who have University of Arizona ties to make up for the fact that he doesn't really have that they're kind of trying to bring the university of arizona pride back and in doing so they've offered a consultant role to teddy brewski who's going to continue to be an employee of espn but teddy brewski is now technically on staff at university of arizona what do you think of that i think that okay so you do have to try to get a little bit of juice right to build some momentum and Arizona's looking at what Arizona State has done. I mean, it, I I still don't think we've seen the true results of what Herm and these guys have built at Arizona State yet, or like, or it's just been a negligible increase. Like, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that some of these things take years and years to actual seeds. That the seed time harvest of it is longer. But I'm not 100% sure that it's such a groundbreaking difference in what they're doing. Yeah, well, I would, I would say that um, you had next to no fans, even if they were allowed to go to the games. And so I think it's necessary for University of Arizona to really tap into whatever pride people have left and wake that up. And so I think that it's probably a good move. Um, the one thing that they've said since they got uh, um, in position with this staff is that they are actually going to take Arizona seriously, like Arizona high school recruiting. And so that, you know, as they should, because at, it's like a right. free, it's free money. Yeah. We, we beat this to death all the time and I don't want to uh, continue to really get into it, but I will say that I talked to a lot of high school coaches down here in Arizona who felt heard for the first time because they had to got, got to have a couple of conversations with assistants and head coaches. But what, what head coaches and assistants get sick of is those relationships need nurtured. You can't just show your face once and have them be excited because you're a college football coach. Like they don't look at you as a college football coach. They don't look at you as a celebrity. They look at you as a peer. And if you take them for granted or you ignore them, then they will, um, football coaches are really good at complaining. If you ever see one on a sideline and a call doesn't go their way, um, 
that's exactly how they act when you're pissing them off as a college football coach and jerking them around as somebody who could, could have the potential to recruit their kids. They will talk shit about you to people like me. So like, I, <laughs> I'll know, I'll know. I knew immediately that, uh, after five months of Kevin Sumlin being at university of Arizona, that they, that they weren't taking any of that seriously. Right. I knew, um, within a couple of months of Herm Edwards staff being, uh, at, at Arizona state that Arizona wasn't going to be the priority that they had a completely different set of, uh, of, of priorities. Like, so you'll know, um, and as, as it stands right now, I'm getting a lot of really positive feedback from coaches about their initial contact with, um, university of Arizona, but it's just, it, it takes constant nurturing. It, it, everyone gets sick of the amount of effort it takes to be able to stake a claim, um, in your home state. Uh, and it's really tough to do when you have consistent staff turnover, but when uh, you staff your, uh, your, your school with mostly alumni, then that should take away some of the threat of, you know, the, the, um, them not being there year to year, so long as the performance is, is worthy of, of keeping them around. Then again, um, there's this completely uh, opposite mindset of you just go and get the best players regardless of where they're at and that these complaints from locals mean absolutely nothing. And I don't believe that, but I understand the, the, the people that do carry that perspective. I, obviously, University of Arizona doesn't carry that perspective. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone out of their way to have a bunch of people who used to play football at University of Arizona be affiliated with their staff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Arizona has a shot. They do have a shot. Um, we can move on to to uh, the Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, we on the last episode, hey, hey, the witch is dead. Um, <laughs> uh, Larry Scott is gone. He is going to be ridded of our of our hair. I am scared that there may be a coup attempt <laughs> that he will try to find some way to retain power. He may try to storm uh, the. Him and the other six-figure people, they may try to storm the Pac-12 headquarters and and, and take control back. But aside from that, he's going to be gone. And the question was, so he's supposed to leave in June, right? Uh, He is... June or July? Supposed to leave at the end of June, is my understanding. Okay. So, So people were thinking, okay, that the next commissioner will start then. Well, we find out otherwise that the Pac-12, instead of waiting for his tenure to be up, they're like, no, we're going to find him uh, or his replacement in the spring and get them in there, which I think is the optimal plan. Because what what's the point in leaving Larry Scott in to, to, to leave him in to do more great things as commissioner? Or do you get him out as quickly as possible? I think that the Pac-12... Uh, CEOs made a good move with this. Yes. Um, it, you know, I, as somebody who just had to have uh, seven molars removed on the same day uh, due to several years of, uh, of, of neglecting a problem, I would say that the longer you leave them in, the more damage it's going to do. <laughs> so, <I would laughs> so you're speaking from experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it is, it would be nice if he was in there on like a don't touch anything deal, you know, like just don't, don't 
do anything like those rubber rooms that the when New York teachers would be awaiting uh, disciplinary hearings and they would just put them in these rooms where they would sit for eight hours, eat their lunch, like scribble on a sketch pad. Um, that, that would be a really great situation for Larry Scott if, if he was in a situation where uh, they just put him in, in an office with maybe a computer that doesn't connect to the Internet and uh, he is able to uh, and maybe just unplug his phone and um, let him ride this six months out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dude, th- he needs to be trying to get in the facility like Jamal Adams in those video in, in the memes that they put up where he's trying to get into the Jets facility and he's putting in his code and it's locked. That's the way he needs to just show up one day, but you can't tell him because he'll he'll try to smuggle documents out or something. No, you just got to just cut it off, bro. You got to cut it off. Um, there is more great news, Ralph. I am so excited. I am going to be back. Well, but at the same time, I'm not excited because I know what this means on a on a different level. I'm excited that the NCAA video game is coming back because that was literally my favorite video game of all time. I used to run the option. I used to, oh my God, dude, it's just incredible. It's better than Madden and Madden's fantastic, but it's better. And I love, oh God, I love it, but it's going to... It's also going to make me miss my friend TK who got who who got killed in 2015 because that's that was our game. Like that was our like that was me and him. I played more games of that with him than probably any other person on earth. And I played a lot of people. And but I am going to be happy that it's coming back, but at the same time I'm like oh they the statement that they put out about it coming back saying that, Oh, uh, that they're going to go through the licensing with the college licensing commission or whatever it's called to make Mm -hmm. sure that they have all 130 teams, the logos, all of that stuff. So they're going to pay for those. But as far as the athletes, Oh no, 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 no. We're, we're not going to pay them. We're going to just use different names and looks and all of this stuff. I was like, Get out of here. That sounds like a recipe for disaster, especially with name, image, and likeness coming. Yeah, I um, I definitely got way more excited than I needed to be, <laughs> I feel like, after uh, after reading through um, that this is actually going to take a lot of time to make sure they get it right. And then I had to temper my excitement because I was like, I'm going to go out and buy it today. And, uh, and it's, you know, it might not even be around for the 2022 season. And so that's uh, that's unfortunate. But they the idea that they would try to find a way to get it right. My initial read through, I'm not going to lie. My initial read through was like, wait a minute, money's going to go to the teams and not the players. Like as much as I love this game, I still have a PS3. I still have NCAA 2014. I will continue to play that and do the online roster updates over the players not getting compensated. Um, But it sounds like by waiting if the NCAA quits trying to punt on all this, um, then then they might be able to work something out that makes more sense. Yeah. And I hate it, dude. I hate it. And the reason why I do hate it is because the I and, and, and granted, I'm reading a lot into this because I do think that the saying not commenting on paying the players and all that stuff is the right thing to do at this point in time with so little resolution about name, image, and likeness, how Senate's going to get involved, all of that. So I think it's the right move for them not to comment on it. But 
if the players aren't paid, I am going to be grandstanding for the game to be pulled. So I'm going to be advocating against what I really want. Because the players, they deserve the money. And then, and if they turn around and say, well, it's not the same players, look at them. Uh look, look at the running back from, from, from Iowa State. That's not the that that's a white guy now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but his speed, his trucking ability, all his, his characteristics. Hometown. Yeah, are the same as the running back there now? Yeah, no, that's not gonna work for me, buddy. You you saying that changing him from whatever number he is like number 31 to a 13, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> no, no. Pay them their money. Just like the, when you're making money off of people, you should pay them. So, so there's that. Hey, so I got a question. I know we didn't talk about it in the open, but I did want to get your take on this. Um, we got a few PAC 12 players that are on the active roster going into this weekend's Super Bowl, And, um, one of the teams is very, very, very low on Pac-12 talent. I'll see if you can guess which which one uh, has a serious absence of of Pac-12 players out of Tampa Bay and Kansas City. Um, I know there aren't a lot of Pac-12 players in this game. Period. But uh, just just because of the teams that made it. But I would say. I'm literally guessing right now. I'm going to say Kansas City just just because. I mean, I have no reason, but I'm going to say Kansas City. Kansas City. Wait, no. Okay. Uh, no, okay, hold up. Okay. I'm going to actually go with Tampa. No, I'm going to go with Kansas City. Kansas City is having more or less? Kansas City. <sighs> actually, I'm going to go with my original thought that Tampa has less because Tampa is all the way in Florida and they generally some well like they kind of draft geographically friendly on some level too so i'm gonna go with tampa okay has left Oof. all right this is gonna be brutal uh there is one player on the kansas city chiefs active roster that is a pac-12 alumni (laughs) alumnus (laughs) what is that it is uh, one of their offensive linemen is actually an Oregon State alum, and they do have a second Oregon State alum who is not on the active roster in quarterback Matt Moore, uh, but it's Mike Remmers, who is in his eighth year out of uh, Oregon State. He is uh, an offensive lineman, 6'5", 308 pounds. That is the only Pac-12 player they would technically have another one, but Todd Graham kicked Mike Pennell off the team at ASU, and he went to uh, and finished his college career at CSU Pueblo and is now in his seventh uh, year in the NFL. So technically, ASU would have a player in this game, but Todd Graham kicked Mike Pennell out of school. And so they do not. So only one active Pac-12 player on the Chiefs. Do, do you feel like, embarrassed by that? Mm, no. You, no. Okay. So do you feel embarrassed that there are two CSU Pueblo active players in this game and only one Pac-12 player on the entire Chiefs roster. Okay. Sometimes that can happen on on teams, but there should actually be more than one. Yeah, there should be more than one. There should there should be at least three on every single roster. Yeah, so there are five on Tampa Bay. Well, I want to. Oh, see, look. I want to see if see there's can, six. Uh, if, if you, there's three on each. <laughs> technically, yeah. If you do it that way, um, can you guess any of the uh, Pac-12 alumni that are playing for Tampa Bay? 
Oh, gosh. Okay, so... One of them is a Hall of Famer, so you should be able to get that one. A Hall of Famer? A Hall of Famer, yes. Pac-12. All right. I'm 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 trying to think who they have on their team. So, I'm going to go with... Oh, uh... Oh, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski to Arizona. Yes. That's funny. Yeah, so... Uh, USC has two. They obviously have Ronald Jones and uh, the uh, tackle who just who. Wait, no, no, he got drafted by my, Miami. Um, I'm talking about Austin Jackson. Yeah, it's just Ronald Jones. Yeah, just Ronald Jones from uh, um, from Tampa Bay or from USC is is the only player on Tampa Bay from the Trojans. Um, does Kenyon Barner count? Cause I remember seeing on his Instagram that he had just got gotten signed. Um, so he is on their roster, but he is injured. And so he will not be playing in the game. They also have Evan Bayless on the other side, uh, for Kansas city who is injured and not playing in this game. So Oregon does have a little bit of representation. Oh, see, exactly. They do. You, do you know that if Tampa wins, this is going to be Kenyon Barner's third super bowl ring. That's hilarious. Lucky bastard. So I think there are actually a couple of university of Washington, uh, players, uh, Vita Vea. Oh, he's, he's hurt. No, no, he's coming back now. Yeah. So I think he's going to be available for the game yeah. and Jaden Mickens, the wide receiver. Okay. So university of Washington has two. And then, uh, there is also, um, Dayon Buchanan. Remember him? He, yep. he was a Washington state, uh, Cougar. He was a first round pick by the Cardinals. He kind of flamed out because he's an in-between guy as a linebacker and safety, but he flamed out after the transition of Bruce Arians leaving the Arizona Cardinals. And so guess who picked him up? Bruce Arians. And so he is, he is actually out there. Um, and I think that leaves one more and I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head without, without looking it up, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to do it there. I can't remember who the fifth player is. No, that's it. That's all five. That's all five because there's two Washington players, one from Washington state, Ronald Jones, and then Gronk. That's it. That's it. That's all the PAC 12 representation in the super bowl. I definitely do not feel good about that. Um, uh, oh, all right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let's see how many, Hold on, I'm gonna pull up their roster right now. Let's see how many SEC players they. You count SEC players. I actually, I'll can't count SEC players. You count Big Ten players on the active roster only. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, you you want to pause the podcast, or you just want people to listen to us just counting? Well, no, I'm 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 almost done. Okay. And you just made me lose count. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be done anytime soon, man. Uh, I'm at 10, 11, 12. Jeez, Christ. <laughs> it's like 11 or 12 on Tampa. Okay, so we don't we don't even need, need the exact number. I was just seeing if there were. The uh, Big Ten is not exactly uh, super represented on on there, the uh on their roster either there are is missouri's sec right yep okay um there's like eight or nine actually there's like eight or nine yeah. big 10 players on tampa bay only Damn. 
Okay, this is sad. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough one, man. It, and I, I, yeah, I'm not even going to go through the Chiefs roster because they, 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 they're not bothering to have any Pac-12 uh, talent on that team. Now, see, now I'm, a, I'm rooting against the Chiefs. I'm rooting for Tampa Bay now. Oh, I need Mahomes to win so he can pass up Brady. Um, pass up Brady right, like all-time so- Super Bowl. You just you, you now, but then you're going to be rooting for him for his whole career. Uh, that's fine. Um, there, there. Okay. So here is the Easter egg guys. We, we, uh, we have set up a secret text. Also phone number that you guys can text us. We're going to be sending out updates when we do, um, when we do cool events, all of this stuff, we're going to put together a whole pack 12 community. Here is the phone number. 818-293-7547. Two nine three seven five four seven. Text the phone number. We will text text you back. And when we give out special prizes, anything like that, you will have to have hit us for us to be able to uh, talk to you. But here's the thing. Here's the catch. Do not share the phone number with people. Make them listen to the episode and get it for themselves. Do not share the phone number. You can tell them that there's an Easter egg in the show, but do not just outright explicitly give it to them make them come earn it like you had to come earn it um so uh, i guess the last thing we have up ralph is what uh basketball yeah yeah because i just had a couple of things i wanted to touch on and then we'll get more into uh the basketball scene in future episodes there is a game that you don't want to miss um saturday 8 p.m ucla at usc this is this is big, and I don't know if anybody really thought that this game was going to matter as much uh, at this point in the season as it does right now, but you're talking about the number one and number two teams. There's only one ranked Pac-12 basketball team. The, there's the same number of ranked Pac-12 basketball teams as there are Pac-12 football players on the Kansas City Chiefs roster. So that's not very fun um, because there's been a couple of really disappointing performances this year, namely from Arizona state who a lot of people picked to win the conference. They're currently in ninth or something like that. Um, And that's after winning a couple of games in a row. So the really, really uh, uh, big surprise is um, UCLA playing at such a high level, even though they lost Chris Smith to an ACL tear and USC is actually playing at a really high level as well. So these two are going head to head on Saturday, UCLA's nine and one in conference as of today. USC is seven and two, um, and I think that's going to be that, that's going that's going to tell us a lot. I feel like about whether either one of these teams is you know if it's a close game, then we'll know that both can either play or not play. Um, but if one team blows the other out, then I think we'll know who the favorite is through the through the end of the year um, in the conference. COVID is still pretty much ruining everything. So it's hard to take the stands seriously as is because some game, some teams have only played eight conference games while others have played 11 or 12. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to give a shout out to UCLA and then I wanted to get your take on um, Arizona state because they had brought in um, three top 15 recruiting classes in a row. And here they are trying not to finish last in the Pac-12 with Bobby Hurley at coach, would you consider this a hot seat year? No, I would not consider it a hot seat year. They went to the tournament last year. Well, there was no tournament last year. They probably would have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They would have gone to the tournament. But the issue – okay, so 
I kind of give coaches some coaches is some coaches a mulligan for this season, and some of them are inexplicable. Look at John Calipari at Kentucky. Some idiots are like, let's fire. Maybe uh, Calipari's on the hot seat. Like what? What? How? How would John Calipari? I know their team is like five and ten or five and eleven or something like that right now. This is an awful season for them. But how do you fire John Calipari? Like, come on, bro. He's won a national championship, played in another one, been to the Final Four a couple times, I think. And, like, this is the guy you want to fire? Dude, stop. Stop. It's an outlier season. Same thing as what I I see with Arizona State. Yes, it's disappointing. But some of it is probably on the players. Some of it is on the pandemic and how they've adjusted. I don't know. Or or maybe the Pac-12 is better than people think think it is. But you don't know because they're not really playing out of conference games so so much. So I, I don't know exactly how to score this battle. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt the same way about football, though, and you still saw people get fired. But you saw less people get, get fired. I mean, yeah. uh, Auburn firing Gus Malzahn was, I think that's going to, be looked back as a pure idiocy not not even that brian harson won't be successful there but you paid like was was gus malzahn 20 almost 30 million dollars bad to like fire him during a pan, pandemic like was was he that bad yeah i don't think he was 30 million dollars bad for him and his assistants i didn't think so uh, I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see how things play out this week. The the there's you're they're reaching no coming back territory. So we'll know by the end of this week. We'll talk some more basketball in next week's show. Um, but I did want to touch on one more thing before we let basketball go because I think it's going to be something that we talk about a lot in the upcoming weeks. Uh, over the last couple of years, as ESPN has sort of had a battle with University of Arizona over whether their reporting was correct about uh, DeAndre Ayton accepting a hundred thousand dollars. And Mark Schlebaugh uh, had a really had it out with university of Arizona fans over the last couple of years. They believe he got everything wrong. He basically left Twitter altogether um, because U of A fans would just be on him every time he had anything to say about anything. And a lot of people thought that this would end with university of Arizona potentially suing ESPN for damages especially if the, the reporting was truly as, um, uh, I guess, defamatory as U, U of A fans have made it out to be. However, that's not what happened. Arizona didn't sue ESPN. Today, ESPN sued University of Arizona. Ah! That's, that's funny. That's funny. So when, when when people thought it was like that didn't go how you thought it was going to go. Oh yeah, this definitely caught me off guard. ESPN filed a lawsuit against the Arizona Board of Regents because they want to get their hands on the notice of allegations. Because and and one of the theories on this, um, Jason Shear, who is the twenty four seven reporter um, out of Tucson, who has been like just bashing Mark Schlebaugh for the last two years. Uh, and and has been probably the biggest defender of of Sean Miller, um, and has actually made some pretty good points along the way about whether uh, ESPN's reporting was credible or not. And ESPN to this day has not been able to 
really back up some of the core claims that they made about DeAndre Ayton being compensated uh, by University of Arizona. He says that he believes ESPN filed the suit because it believes there was a phone call with Ayton and will do anything not to look stupid. So that's his theory, is, is that ESPN is trying to go to bat for their employee who broke this story. Um, and I guess what happens if, you know, what happens to U of A if there's information in this notice of allegations that actually does make the ESPN reporting look more credible? Hmm. How bad would that See, be for the University of Arizona? Oh God, dude, that, that would, I don't know if there would be a worse situation for them. I mean, I, I don't know if there is, I mean, is there a worse one? I just, my question is finding are, out that everything's true. Are jobs on the line for both ESPN and U of A? Like would 100%. they fire Mark Schleyball if it came out, there was never, there was never anything with DeAndre Ayton receiving any type of compensation would you be forced to fire your reporter for having a faulty source and standing by that source through a lot of controversy? Yes, they would have to fire him. Like there's no way that you can't fire him. If you find out that that's true. No way. We are in the end game now then it'll be interesting to track this as, as we go and see if, uh, if ESPN is successful in, in their lawsuit, which I'm, ass- I'm assuming they will be. I mean, why, what do, right does do you think that there's him? any way that, that they can't fire him? That they can't fire Mark Schlebaugh or that this doesn't end up with like Sean. Yes. On a plate. Um, I guess I get, I guess if it comes down to like Mark Schlebaugh's editors know his source, I'm assuming they have to know his source and they believe in his reporting to the point where they would file this lawsuit. Cause if not, I think you just quietly let it go. Um, what's interesting to me is so many people had suggested that, that U of a sue ESPN and that never happened. So I think that probably emboldens ESPN to dig further into what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not gonna let this go. You know what I mean? Like the end's not gonna let it go, and neither is um the U of A. They're both gonna be going after this like hard as possible. Like there there's no way that this is, you know, just a, a happy ending. No way, no how. I guess. I guess. So they, they, uh, you know, it, and it is, um, it's an open records request that was, I think denied. And then that's what led to the, the lawsuit. Cause what Mark Schlebaugh asked the university of Arizona for was a copy of the notice of allegation. Um, and that's it. And he said that he would pay for any fees to copy and, and mail all that stuff. He did this back in October and, um, they uh they denied it they sent a letter um saying that uh the university of arizona has requested to have the ncaa enforcement matter referred to the ncaa's iarp process as a result of that request there remains a possibility of additional investigation by the ncaa therefore at this time in accordance with ncaa bylaws the university is not releasing the notice of allegations as it is in the best interest for the state for any additional investigation to be completed before the disclosures are made 
Um, so the, the university is using the excuse that this might not all be over yet. And that's why they're not turning things over. This is <laughs> okay. And all of this, right? Yeah. Think, think about this. All of this is for what a victimless crime. Like we have, like we are like all of this noise, all of this chatter, this notice of allegate, this whole thing is all based upon just the fact that this is a victimless crime. Like who was actually injured by if DeAndre Jordan got, got money? Uh, nobody. Cause I mean, you saw what happened to university of Arizona in the first round. I wouldn't say that, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that uh, University of Arizona overly benefited from their incredible recruiting classes uh, under Sean Miller the last few years. So maybe it should be you, University of Arizona, either uh, trying to get some money back from their coach or, or trying to get a refund from DeAndre Ayton. Either, either way. Um... No, go on. No, I was just going to say that they're going to have to get that from Puma. They thought it would be Nike. You know, there was a lot of people thought that that's why DeAndre Ayton went to uh, went to University of Arizona because he went from a Nike-sponsored um, high school team in, in, in Hillcrest to U of A, and then Puma ended up snaking him. So uh, maybe Puma can settle these debts. Yeah, they, may, they, they might be able to. That may have to be who has to do it. Uh, but you guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Make sure that you share the podcast with a friend. Uh, tell them about it. And, of course, hit hit the line if you got it. You know what I mean? All right, peace out. Catch you guys next week. <laughs>